My Govanen. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek, and in this video I wanted to talk about a somewhat meta aspect of Tolkien's writing, which came to mind as a result of a tweet somebody put out, and it was basically along the lines of the issue of villains being more interesting than heroes. And this is a fairly common trope. A lot of the time your hero is somebody with no particularly interesting character attributes, and the villains are often much better written and much more interesting to follow as people. Tolkien kind of turns this on its head because Tolkien's villains are often far distant individuals who really don't come into the story and thus don't really have much of a personality that we can see. Sauron has, you know, a tiny bit of personality that we can kind of gather from things that Gandalf says about him. Morgoth has more personality. And then there are villains like Saruman that we get, you know, up-close views of, that we get a little bit more out of. But by and large, Tolkien's villains are not particularly well-developed characters. And on the other hand, he has hero characters who are rather interesting. In fact, Faramir, as many of you probably know by now if you've been watching for a while, is one of my favorite characters in the book. And, in my opinion, is a very interesting character hero character, despite being a goody-two-shoes Boy Scout. So I'm going to explore in this video why the common trend is the way it is, and how Tolkien shows us how to do the reverse. So first off, why is it that in you know modern pop culture we tend to think of heroes as being rather uninteresting and villains being the ones that are worth paying attention to? Well, I think there's probably several reasons for this, but I think one of the most fundamental is that interesting villains are much easier to write because villains fundamentally are what provide conflict in stories and stories have to have conflict of some kind to be interesting even in a comedy you have to have some degree of conflict you know where there's something going on i mean even your laurel and hardy movies from way back when always had some kind of tension that gave you know the the story its central thing that the comedy was built around. You never have, or almost never have, just a straight comedy where there's funny things. That's the realm of the stand-up comic. And even there, stand-up comics use jokes that involve tension. There's always some kind of tension going on. So conflict is necessary for stories. And villains in the stories that have heroes and villains provide a lot of the conflict because those are the ones that create the need for the hero to do whatever it is they do to defeat the villain. So it's easy, therefore, to write a villain who creates conflict and also easy to write a villain who has their own inner conflict. And this kind of gets to an issue, too, that I've talked about in the a video that I did on Aragorn's character arc in the book versus the movie. In the book, Aragorn has very little character arc because, and my argument there was, at the time the story starts, he's already 80 some odd years old with a well-developed plan for his life and goals that he plans to get to, and so to the extent that we see him changing as a character, it's not so much a character arc. Whereas in the movie, Peter Jackson gave him a character arc, which in my opinion does not work out well, of starting off being very, if not afraid, at least cautious of the idea of having power, 
and then over time eventually comes to the point where he accepts it and then becomes the king that he is meant to be but didn't originally want to be. And his character arc in this regard in the movie actually gives us a pretty interesting view of this dynamic of heroes and villains. Heroes these days are mostly written as somewhat conflicted individuals who overcome their inner conflicts and eventually rise above and become what they need to be. And in fact, this is also something else I touched on in a, another video recently where I addressed a wisecrack video on differences between the books and the movies. So I'll link to both the Aragorn video and the wisecrack video, and you can get some of my arguments there. But it's a lot easier to do this for villains because villains fundamentally represent, if, if they're well-developed characters, they represent a miniaturized version of the fall. And interestingly enough, Tolkien basically says in one of his letters, I believe, that all stories ultimately are about the fall. And his argument, I think, has some merit to it because if you think about it, every good story where there's some kind of moral conflict between good and evil or something like that, you're going to have this element of somebody fell even if it's not an entire race of beings like the elves falling, in a sense, at the, the kinslaying at the havens, it's still going to be a personal fall. And a lot of villains, we can see this happen. So one of the trends in modern culture, for instance, is to show how you know villainous characters that we're all familiar with may have come to become the villains that we are familiar with today. So Disney, for instance, has been doing a lot of stuff where, you know, like the Maleficent movie, Maleficent has shown how she became the evil power that she is because of bad things that happened in her life. You know, and there's other examples of this, plenty of them at this point. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, somebody starts out at least a halfway decent character and then something bad happens to them and then you know, they fall further and further. Another good example of this, which I've never watched actually, but I know enough about it, would be Breaking Bad. You know, the main character there goes through a, basically a tremendous fall arc and eventually, you know, there's a resolution at the end of the series, but it's a tremendous fall arc basically is what it is. And then, you know, the Star Wars movie trilogy, you know, the prequel trilogy, you have Anakin's fall arc. There's all these fall arcs in modern culture. And the reason you have that, I think, is because it's easy to write a villain who starts off, you know, good in some way, or at least not outright bad, and then something happens to them and they change and they become bad. And it's interesting for humans to see how a character might do that in the right circumstances although maybe not so interesting for the people who have had similar fall arcs. You know, I kind of wonder how people, you know, who view certain kinds of villain stories react if they themselves have had a similar history. You know, I don't, I can't speak to that personally, but, you know, I, I just wonder if there are people out there that have similar fall arcs to their own, to, you know, villains they see in culture and, how they would react to that. But either way, the point being, villains are easy to write because at some level we are all familiar with a fall arc. 
Tolkien would argue, being a Catholic, that everybody has fallen in, in the primordial fall of Adam and Eve, and therefore we're all equally culpable in that sense, and we all have our own personal problems that can result in a fall. And everybody is capable of falling. We can see that. I mean, we all know of stories, either in history or personally, that somebody has become a really bad person over time because of events in their life or something. And we can all recognize, for the most part, that under the right circumstances, we might do something equally horrible. So it's easy to write a villain in that sense, where it's not so easy to write a hero. And you'll see this kind of played out in a lot of traditional hero archetypes, like, for example, Superman. Superman is maybe the most boring, in one sense, superhero ever. In one way, he's very interesting because he has all these powers that have been built up over the years. But as a person, he's not quite as interesting because he's, you know, an alien who crash landed on Earth when he was really young and was raised by the perfect little parents in the perfect little idyllic, you know, farmland in Kansas and became the perfect little Boy Scout superhero. And that's, you know, Superman is actually another trope that's been kind of turned on its head because in recent years there have been multiple attempts to kind of turn his character upside down and give examples of what would happen if Superman was actually a bad guy. And you can see this done in a lot of other ways. They've done it with Captain America, and now he's a Hydra agent in some comics. So they're always showing how a good character could be turned into something evil. And that's, in a way, an interesting way of writing a character. But it's a lot harder to write a good character who's interesting, because how do you write a good character? Like, how does a person become good? There's like this presumption in modern culture that as long as you have, you know, nothing lacking in your upbringing, then you're just going to turn out good and you're going to be a nice Boy Scout and that's going to work out for you. And it's not really that simple, but you see that in a lot of stories. And even, you know, I mean, there's probably more examples than just Superman, but I'm kind of relying on him because he's almost archetypal, archetypal archetypical in this regard because I mean he is like the guy who had the perfect life growing up and then became the perfect hero and there's no major inner conflict in him you know I mean you get stories where there are conflicts you know they've changed his character over time but the standard Superman that we all think of is the guy who was always a Boy Scout and will always be a Boy Scout so in that sense Super Superman is kind of an uninteresting hero he might have to do interesting things, which are interesting in part because of the things he can do, but by and large, his actual character is not particularly interesting. Tolkien, however, as I mentioned before, turns all this kind of on its head, and I want to explore why next. So Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings gives us many heroic characters, many of whom are not particularly interesting in and of themselves, Legolas and Gimli, serve as a useful vehicle for exploring a reconciliation of elves and dwarves and how you know individuals can become friends even though they might start out hostile and you know other heroes that also have their own you know uses in the story but are not particularly interesting aragorn is a character that i very much enjoy and think is a very great aspirational character because he is 
mostly in the book very much in command and you know knows what he's doing and is very good at doing it. He does have his moments of self-doubt in the book, and he does have other points in the book where I think he may overstep his bounds just a little bit. But by and large, his character, as one that does not really develop over the course of the story, is not hugely interesting. He is interesting more as a representation of something that the hobbits can look up to. And I've pointed out before in, I don't remember what video, that it might have been the Aragorn video or it might have been the Wisecrack video and maybe others, but Aragorn is something that the hobbits look at and see as an aspirational thing or something that's great that's kind of beyond them. Actually, I think it was in the video I did in response to Yoiston about Arwen, adding more Arwen into the story, so I can link to that one as well. But anyway, the point being, Aragorn is interesting as something you can aspire to, but not necessarily something that any of us ever think we could achieve. Aragorn, in his very nature, you know, somebody who lives to 210 years old, who has the wisdom of elves and who is the most hardy, you know, traveler and hunter in the entirety of Middle-earth, none of us are ever going to achieve that. Faramir, however, is a little bit more on our plane. And Faramir, as I have said in many videos before, is one of the best characters, I think, in the book. And I think he's a very interesting character. And I think I realize now what the interest of his character is. And one thing about Faramir that's interesting is the fact that presumably he had basically the same upbringing that Boromir did. So we can't all you know, pin everything about Faramir on he had the perfect little upbringing and therefore became the perfect little person. That's not really how that works. Denethor is not the perfect father, and certainly for Faramir would not be the perfect father. Faramir probably had the advantage of listening to Gandalf more when Gandalf was around, but his home life was not filled with Gandalf teaching him the right stuff while Denethor was filling Boromir, you know, Boromir's head with like visions of glory of Gondor and things like that. We can't really go that way. So what makes Faramir interesting is that his own choices are what lead him to be a good hero and it's his own decisions to you know focus on things besides glory and war things like learning and wisdom and you know the the things that he tells Frodo and Sam are valuable in themselves more so than the glory of the warrior and the sharpness of the sword and the brightness of the spear and the swiftness of the arrow you know those are the kinds of things that Faramir believes are worth engaging in and therefore that's part of the reason why he's good is because he's made the choice to focus on those things and yet is still capable of being a great warrior and leader in war. But it's not merely that because at the end of the day his character would not be very interesting if all he was was a mouthpiece of what we can all probably admit is a greater wisdom than what Boromir or Denethor have. He would be an interesting mouthpiece, but again, he would be kind of a kind of a blank slate, just teaching us things in a preachy kind of way. What makes Faramir really interesting, I think, is the fact that deep down, Faramir's conflict is still there, but it's not in the form of a moral internal conflict. Faramir is a person who is already a well-established moral character who has to face a very difficult decision in the context of what to do with Frodo and Sam, which 
has both a moral side and a prudential side and even a legalistic side, and he has to reconcile all these things in the position that he is, which is he is not the leader of Gondor. Denethor is still the ruling steward, but he has some authority, and yet he has to basically overstep his authority just a little bit to make a decision which he believes is ultimately the right thing to do, despite it being a kind of against the law, but possibly also prudentially disastrous. So he has to decide, ultimately, to let Frodo and Sam go in a situation where prudentially that could result in the destruction not only of Gondor, but of the entirety of Middle-earth if Sauron regains the ring. Legally, of course, he's clearly not within his rights because legally he's supposed to take anybody found in Gondor to the steward to give an account of themselves, if not just kill them outright. But morally, he knows he's not in a position to do that, especially once Sam accidentally reveals that what Frodo is carrying is the ring and they explain what the mission is. Now, even before that point, Faramir recognizes the situation is somewhat delicate, and therefore he's trying to handle it in a really careful manner. And we can see that in his conversation with Frodo when Sam first wakes up, and he's asking him probing questions, and then after they stop, he basically says, you may have noticed that I kind of turned the questioning aside from the issue of Isildur's Bane because I thought maybe it wouldn't be best to bring that up in front of all my men. And in the conversations we get between Faramir and Frodo and Sam, we learn not only a lot about Faramir's character, but we learn a lot about his own sense of wisdom, his own ability to make decisions on his own, to think on the fly, to be able to do things in a way that he recognizes are going to be best calculated to lead to the ends that are, in his opinion, best for everybody. So he doesn't want to let too many beans spill in front of the wrong people. And getting a grasp of how he handles himself is interesting in and of itself because it shows that he's not just a goody two-shoes, but he has to, you know, he has to really put effort and thought into how he conducts himself with Frodo because it's not just a simple matter of let me find out what I need to know and then I'll do the right thing. Sometimes a little more discretion is required than that, and Faramir knows how to exercise that discretion. And we can see, over the course of the time that he spends with Frodo and Sam, how he very carefully navigates a very touchy situation. And ultimately his decision is one that is based at rock bottom on the morality of the situation and what he recognizes finally as, this is the right way to go, and even though I don't technically have the rights to let you go. I'm going to do it anyway with conditions that I'm going to place on you, which basically it's like if you come back to Gondor, you have to present yourself to the steward. So, you know, he's, it's really interesting to watch Faramir do this. And another video that I can reference here is one that I did on various aspects of lawbreaking in The Lord of the Rings, and Faramir is one example of that. Aomer letting Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli go is another example of that. Um, that also has a lot to do with using your moral reasoning in a situation where the law is maybe over strict. And so that's another useful one to go watch for similar examples. But Faramir, I think, is the best instance of this because we see so much more of his own thinking process. So that is in that's one reason I think Faramir is such an interesting character, besides, you know, despite being 
basically a goody two-shoes type character. And that's not to say Farmer has no flaws. He does. He's got tension with his father because of the multiple issues between them. And that does come up a, a couple of times in the story, if I remember correctly, at least once, where Faramir and him basically almost get to the point of cutting each other down with words. Um, so Faramir has a really interesting character, not because his development of his character, but because of how we see his character working in the situation. And I think that's particularly interesting. A final point here that I would like to bring up, because I've done another video way back on the idea of Morgoth and comparing him to the movie Megamind and showing how evil is just boring. Uh, because a lot of viewers, if you've seen that video and now you're watching this one, and I'm admitting that villains can be interesting, how can I reconcile that with that previous video? Well, in that video, I wasn't referring so much to the characters being uninteresting. I was referring more to, you know, the the acting out of evil itself is boring. Ultimately, doing evil things is, you know, it devolves into monotony, you know, in some form or fashion. Ultimately, it kind of all boils down to just getting your way and destroying things, and it never involves doing anything particularly creative or, you know, things that you're not building anything, you're not making anything, you're not doing anything interesting in and of itself. You may be creative in how you destroy things, but you're not being creative in a way that actually benefits anybody else. And there's a certain kind of just banality to that. I mean, you can't be an evil character and do particularly interesting things. You might be an interesting person to examine psychologically, but you're never going to be an interesting uh, person in the sense of how you interact with the world. The way a villain interacts with the world is pretty much always the same. And to the extent that any villain ever has interactions with the world that don't devolve into something boring and, you know, rote, it's because they might have a redemption arc, not because of how they are as a villain. So... I just kind of wanted to address that point really quickly because I think it's another interesting way of seeing how Faramir is different because, and it also explains why Tolkien uses these remote villains. You know, these remote villains are doing boring things. They're just breaking things down, destroying things, trying to gain control. And interestingly enough, one of the things that Tolkien tells us about Sauron is that one of the reasons Sauron went bad is because of his desire for order. But the desire for order taken to a villainous extent is basically a desire for uniformity and totally uninteresting, you know, control. That That's all that is. But it also highlights... <clears throat> but it also highlights Faramir's character to an extent because what we see Faramir doing is, in fact, much more interesting because of the way he interacts with the world He's not just taking a sledgehammer approach trying to, you know, push down on everybody and make things easy for him and control things. What he's trying to do is wrestle with, okay, what is the right thing to do, which may be premised on something bigger than himself. He is trying to fit himself into a broader scheme, which is actually more important than himself. That's not what villains do. Villains see themselves as the most important thing and try to beat everything else down into submission. And Faramir does the exact opposite. He tries to find a way 
to bring himself into submission to the greater good and calling it the greater good. I don't like that phrase, but it's kind of the easiest way to describe what, what I'm talking about. And I think you get what I mean. So the idea of evil being boring, I think fits in with this description of how Faramir makes for an interesting character. So at the end of the day, what Tolkien has done is shown us how a hero can be interesting because they have to deal with conflicts that are not inner conflicts, but can show the strengths of their character in how to deal with certain situations and how they can let themselves be humble tools of providence, God, whatever it is, and do things that are creative and build up others rather than just squash people down, beat them down, destroy things in their way. And that's, I think, a, a really interesting lesson that a lot of writers could learn as far as writing better heroes. I think it's a lost art in a lot of ways because we don't see very many heroes like that anymore. And the one, the only real example I can think of from my lifetime, really, other than you know, reading Lord of the Rings is the Captain America movies. Steve Rogers is actually a pretty interesting character despite being a goody two-shoes Boy Scout. And I think it's for basically the same reasons that I am describing here about Faramir. So maybe there's others out there that I'm not aware of that you think are really interesting heroes. And if you know of any, put them in the comments because that might be an interesting discussion. But that wraps up this video. So I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope you got some interesting ideas about how to analyze heroes and villains and stories and whatnot. If you did enjoy it, please do give it a thumbs up and share it around. You can follow me on Twitter at JRRTLore for some occasional Tolkien-related trivia questions. You can also find me on Odyssey and Rumble, and I have podcast versions of these uh, as well on all the major platforms. And of course, you can support me at Patreon, and don't forget to subscribe and click that bell icon if you want to get more content like this on YouTube. Until the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namariye.